Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Now that the draft is over, I obviously wondered what I will be doing for the next couple months. Um, but a thought came to me. I want to go through every single team's press conferences after every single day of the draft. It's a lot of listening to decision makers for each team, but I've picked up some interesting tidbits so far. Um, and I want to start with the AFC East. And to open, let's go with the Buffalo Bills. And I sat down, spoke with Brian Galliford of Buffalo Rumblings, the SB Nation Buffalo Bills blog, to kind of pick his brain what he thought of the picks and really the comments and reasoning that Doug Whaley and Rex Ryan gave for their selections. All right, Brian. So with the Bills last year really lacking on the defensive side of the ball, it is no surprise that the first three of their selections were on the defensive side um, to help Rex Ryan, hopefully, maybe, perhaps. Um, and that all starts with Shaq Lawson. Um, first, kind of what, what are your expectations for Shaq Lawson during his rookie year? Well, Doug Whaley set that expectation essentially just a few minutes after he was drafted. He said he's going to come right in and walk into the starting lineup. Um, he'll play outside linebacker when they're in their 3-4 base uh, opposite Jerry Hughes. And then uh, he'll probably, in, in nickel packages, passing downs, he'll slide down and put his hand to the dirt and play on the line somewhere between 3-4-5 tech and, and make some plays there, hopefully. Um, they're they're going to use him a lot. They really need help with their, their pass rush. They were a franchise low in, in terms of sacks last year. It was just a huge drop-off from the right. two previous years. So they need a lot from him. And, and we'll continue this trend kind of throughout these prospects. But one thing that kept popping up when Doug Whaley was – um, doing these press conferences after each pick was throwing out, honestly, starting gigs. And like you mentioned, he, he was, he handed Shaq Lawson the starting gig immediately. And it makes sense. I mean, one, there's that Clemson connection that we know Rex loves, but two, I mean, he, he converts speed to power and that's what they love about him. He did mention that they cleared him medically. The right shoulder was obviously something that one team flagged. I think it was the Jacksonville Jaguars at the NFL combine went back for the rechecks, those types of things. So we're in agreement here, along with Doug Whaley, that if he um, stays healthy, no extra surgeries, that he is starting opposite Jerry Hughes. Is it more of that that right outside linebacker spot, or is it more of a strong side to weak side type thing? I think they see Hughes as a guy that can drop into coverage, uh, but he's going to be their their top rush guy this year. So 
I imagine that you'll see Lawson play both sides, but they might try to, to tend him over toward the, the tight end side more often, at least initially. Another thing, the Buffalo media that was asking questions, I'm learning a lot from these local media sources too. They kept worrying about his size at 6'2", what, 270, something like that, which is shocking to me. <laughs> like, you, you don't have to be 6'5", 285 to play defensive end. Um, Whaley seemed completely content. Rex seemed completely content with his size. Um, it's not a worry, I guess, segment, an issue that you have with, with his evaluation either, I'm guessing. No, I, I don't think so. He's he's clearly talented enough and versatile enough to do a bunch of different things. I think I, I wasn't in the room when, when those questions were being asked, but maybe there was maybe a sentiment going around that he kind of was in between what you would expect out of a 3-4 defensive end and a 3-4 outside linebacker, just sort of in the middle ground weight-wise. Um, that's just my speculation, though. And then in round two, the Bills move up. I believe they moved up to select Reggie Ragland, the inside linebacker out of Alabama. Many pegged him at number 19, and Whaley went on to comment that they were they would have been perfectly happy taking him at number 19. It really was between Shaq Lawson, Reggie Ragland, and a mystery third prospect. Um, and, and not to steal your thunder a bit here, but Doug Whaley then went on to say that he's starting immediately, Reggie Ragland is, next to Preston Brown as a weak side linebacker. Now, weak side linebacker in most um, defenses comes with this stigma that they need to be fast and quick to the ball and work from the backside. And that's not really Reggie Ragland's game. Is that kind of what he's expected to do in this Buffalo Bills defense? Uh, yes and no. Um, you know, it's the Rex Ryan defense. So they do use their inside linebackers differently. They're, they're taking on blockers and freeing other guys up a lot. Um, and Ragland, that suits his skill set certainly. Um, they'll they'll blitz him. Uh, they might even ask him to line up on the edge and rush like they did at Alabama once in a while. They're not going to use him in the way that they used to use Nigel Bradham, uh, mm-hmm. where they're having him run and chase all the time. They signed Zach Brown in free agency, who's a similar sort of athlete to Bradham. If they want that type of linebacker on the field, they can field him. Um, I, I don't know that they're actually going to line up Ragland on the weak side either. Preston Brown has done that a bit as well. It's actually where he started his career in Buffalo. Uh, when Kiko Alonso went down, he he played there uh, to start his rookie season, and he was okay at it. I think you know they'll just line those two guys up. Both of them are going to play a high volume of snaps, probably right. in the 90 percentage. And uh, they, I don't think they'll switch strong or weak based on alignment too much. They're just going to line them up and play. Got it. Um, so you're telling me that that a general manager might have stretched the truth on draft day is what you're saying. Well, I think <laughs> what Whaley said, it seemed to me like he was just saying that he thought Raglan could play the weak side. Okay. And it didn't didn't necessarily strike me as he was saying that's where they're going to play him or that's where his skill set is. It was just that if he ends up playing the weak side on a specific subset of plays, he'll be he'll be fine. And and the big question with Raglan was also third downs. What do you do with him on 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 pure passing situations. Um, they said they're in wait and see mode. Are you worried about spending a second round pick on someone that might not be on the field for all three downs? No, because I think when you talk about big picture, Ragland is an upgrade over Preston Brown anyway, like uh, in, a, in a fairly major way. <laughs> so <laughs> if they end up not wanting to roll with Brown long term, then there's still a spot in the defense for Ragland. Uh, he brings some of the intangible qualities to the defense that they really, really need. So that's that's a big gain for them. 
And then, like I said, um, they have Zach Brown, who's a good passing down linebacker if they if they want to put him on the field in those situations. And Rex Ryan is known for using third and fourth safeties as well, so they can they can incorporate some of that coverage stuff in with personnel. Nice, that's good to know. Um, then the third round, Adolphus Washington, a um, interior pass rusher from Ohio State. Um, it seemed like they love that his his ability against individual blocks, one on ones, face up, but they struggled in terms of his projection with blocks to the outside, double teams, those types of things. Um, but it absolutely seemed like Whaley and Rex wanted him to play early on in his career. Um, what role do you see um, Adolphus Washington playing during his rookie year and maybe beyond that if he can kind of grow as a prospect? So at least for this year, it seems like they're sort of pegging him for maybe a pass rush role in specific uh, sub packages on passing downs. Um that's uh, something that they have sort of earmarked simply because Kyle Williams, who is excellent in that regard, he's getting up there in age and he's coming off of an injury. Right. And then another defensive lineman that's in the rotation that they really like, Corbin Bryant, he doesn't offer much in that regard. He's he's a solid penetrator. He, he's dependable, but he doesn't change the game necessarily. Um, Washington, you know, he started as an end. He has some polished pass rush moves, especially when you talk about him as an interior guy. I think they're sort of earmarking him as a guy that can help in those situations, and then they can round out the rest of his game as they go along. And then finally, um, well, not finally, but in the fourth round is Cardale Jones, the obvious quarterback from Ohio State. What I found fascinating is that they said he's going to come in and be the number three. But at the very least, his floor as an NFL prospect is a number two quarterback. Um, And those are strong words, honestly, for a quarterback that you get – in the fourth round. Um, the big question here is obviously all the rumors and the buzz that the Bills just aren't completely happy with Tyrod Taylor in, in terms of giving him a long-term deal. Do you see this as a pick that they hope takes over for Tyrod after two years? Um, or is it someone that they just really aren't sure of that they just like his potential and they'll see what they have? You know, it strikes me more as they're thinking about replacing EJ Manuel. Um, okay. They did not exercise his fifth-year option on his rookie contract for obvious reasons. Um, he'll probably because leave. he's bad. <laughs> he's he's been pretty bad for sure. Um, he'll probably leave after this season. So uh, I think maybe what they're thinking is we at least have Jones in in the system for a year. He can compete for the number two job next year, and then. If we need to elevate him beyond that, based on what happens with Tyrod Taylor this year, we can talk about that as well. Um, th- they really just needed to build out their depth chart there, and Jones fits the prototype of exactly what they look for uh, at quarterbacks. So, um, in terms we'll of downfield passer, Taylor. those types of things, mobile, arm strength. They wanted a little mobility because of Greg Roman's offense. Yeah, those are the big things. Um, and and just with those four first picks that they had. Another line of thing that kept coming up, another line that they kept using was we want to build um, winners, prospects that know how to win. Is this something new with the Bills? Because it seemed like every single player, obviously, I mean, coming from Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, you have college football playoff and championship game playoff experience. It's not guys from Akron, you know, it's, it's right. and it seemed like to be a, a real mindset that they were in to pick players that know how to win. And um, is, is, again, is that something new or is that something kind of that they're hoping to change because of what they've had in previous years? It's not new for sure. Whaley has been in the front office since 2010. And that year they took 
Central Florida and Arkansas State and Connecticut, South Dakota State. They, they took a lot of smaller school guys that year. And just year after year since then, the, uh, the power conference players has become more and more of a theme to the point where over the last three years uh, of their 20 draft picks, 18 of them played within those five conferences. They, they really have been emphasizing that, uh, especially since Whaley has taken over as the, the full-time GM. So let's end with this. We know that Colby Listenby adds speed from TCU, a six-round pick. We know that Kevin Seymour, a six-round pick corner from USC, adds some size and some speed at the position. Let's end with Jonathan Williams because I don't think they answered a single question about Jonathan Williams, the running back out of Arkansas. Um, I think that they got more out of um, what what the, what they put in in terms of the draft last year with Carlos Williams. Obviously, the Sean McCoy's lead ball carrier. Where does Jonathan Williams fit? in this offense and what are your expectations for him? Well, he, he, uh, they did release Booby Dixon. Um, they had four running backs on the roster last year. So, uh, they'll, they'll probably keep four again. They like Mike Gillisley. Uh, he played fairly well for him down the stretch when Williams and McCoy were hurt. Um, Williams, I should say Jonathan Williams will come in and, uh, compete straight with Gillisley. But then they also have an issue with Carlos Williams in that, He's had several concussions throughout his career, and he's a big physical runner. I think they might be a little bit worried about his longevity. So um, I think Jonathan Williams was a a wise investment just in terms of they have a very defined identity on offense. They run first. They need a deep stable of backs, and that helps them hedge their bets a little bit, especially with McCoy being maybe a little injury prone for the specific type of offense. Brian, this has been awesome. I I really think the best way to learn about each team's tendencies and, and what to expect from them from each season is, is to go straight to, you know, the, the people that follow them the closest instead of national writers or things like that. And, and you did a great job with the bills um, today. Obviously people can follow your work uh, at Buffalo rumblings on Twitter and Buffalo rumblings.com um, part of an SB nation group. Is there anything else you want to plug while you're here? No, you got the big ones. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> uh, cool. Thanks again, Brian. Really appreciate it. No problem. And one more interesting thing that Brian mentioned after we stopped recording. He said that the Bills have really been tight-lipped about who has come in for in-house visits over recent years because they tend to only pick those players. So if you ever see in future drafts, and if Doug Whaley and Rex Ryan are still around, players coming and visiting the Bills in Buffalo, then you know that there's actually strong interest and there's a likely chance that they will be drafted. So let's move on to the other teams in the AFC East. Obviously the New England Patriots, Nick Casario, the, um, I'm not going to call him the general manager, but very much in charge of the, the scouting process for the Patriots answered all the questions from round two, round three, round four. Bill Belichick did not go until the end of the draft, but the true word, the key word that they used in New England is versatility. And that's no surprise. But you talked about Cyrus Jones's outside-inside versatility along with the kicking game. You talk about Joe Tooney's versatility, the offensive lineman who can play outside or inside. Um, you even talk about Eastern Illinois linebacker Kamu Gruger-Hill. I'm mispronouncing that, but they just called him Hill. And his safety linebacker hybrid, again, they use the term versatility. Um, meanwhile, Miami had some really interesting terms that they used. Uh, Chris Greer answered most of the questions and they really wanted to look for 
alpha personalities, competitors, guys that will not be phased if they start off with a losing season and that want to be those dominant personalities, which I found fascinating. And they really focused on certain targets. They kept mentioning guys as target players, ones that they focused on and and starred before the draft with coaches, with the scouting department, and then someone like Xavier Howard, who they traded up for in the second round. And then finally, we conclude with the Jets. Um, it's honestly the first time I've really listened to Mr. McCagnan speak at length. And just talking around the picks and the reasoning and just giving these typical jargon answers, to me, he did not say very much. He said the same thing multiple times over and over again. And obviously, once you pick Christian Hackenberg, all the questions are about your quarterbacks, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, namely. In fact, I didn't get anything on Brandon Shell or Locke Edwards because they didn't even do a press conference at the end of day three. But quickly, Darren Lee, the inside linebacker that the Jets took at number 20, um, I thought it was interesting that Todd Bull said he was completely fine with Lee being 232 pounds, doesn't want him to add size, um, and that they're going to find a role with him immediately. But he'll, he will work behind um, Aaron Henderson to start, and they're going to keep him at that inside linebacker position. And they wanted to add speed, and you absolutely get that with Darren Lee. So this was the first in kind of um, this experiment for the offseason. I'll listen to it. Hopefully you guys will listen to it as well. And give us your feedback on iTunes, as always, and on SoundCloud. That absolutely works. Um, we're reading them, and I'll get better at this offseason thing. There's not as much to talk about. But, again, anything that I find in these press conferences, I will share them, um, as I think it's super fascinating to hear these general managers and coaches and kind of peek through keyholes and peer behind the curtain a little bit. Um, So talk to you all again next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.